Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 21 through 48. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 48. I will read those as we go through the text this morning. First, I want to open with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to this passage this morning, We give you thanks that we stand on the other side of the cross. We give you thanks that we have been forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We give you thanks this morning, even as we prepare to open your word because of the love that we have in Christ and the love that you have displayed to us in Christ. And now because of that great love and because of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ, would you now work in us? Would your spirit work in us to make it our aim to please you with desires and attitudes that would please you, that would lead to actions that please you. There are difficult things in this text this morning. And we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to receive them so that we might live in such a way that brings you glory and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You don't have to be around children long, especially young children around the age of two, to see how one's attitudes and one's inward desires directly leads to actions of disobedience. Our internal attitudes and desires can lead to all kinds of disobedient acts. Tell the child that they can't have two cookies, and what happens? Get ready to protect yourself. But as adults, we have learned to keep certain emotions and attitudes in check so that no one gets hurt. We don't murder someone because they took our cookie or because they cut us off while we were driving. But what may be going on internally in our desires and attitudes toward that person might be a different story. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus addresses as he continues in the Sermon on the Mount. We saw that Jesus is demanding a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus focuses on a righteousness that flows out of a heart that depends upon God. The scribes and Pharisees had an external righteousness. Certainly they would not murder or commit adultery, but inwardly 
inwardly. If you looked at one's heart, if you looked at their heart, you might see something else. So Jesus, he elevates the standard of righteousness for us by addressing the issues of the heart. And Jesus explains what life in the kingdom should look like when it comes to our attitudes, when it comes to our desires and the internal motives of the heart. So what should life look like when it comes to our desires, when it comes to our attitudes? Our desires and attitudes should not be characterized by anger, but peace. Not lust, but contentment. Not deceit, but honesty. And not revenge, but love. This is what life should look like for those of us who belong to Jesus Christ. This is the kind of righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And even the very mention of these, the very mention of these should lead us all to say, impossible, impossible. The kind of life that you are demanding of me, impossible. It should cause us to say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. It should cause us to depend upon Him and to look to Him for our righteousness. With that being said, and with an understanding of how often we fail in these ways, Jesus is still demanding a life that pleases God which will come from a heart that depends upon Him. So first, first, our attitudes and desires should not be characterized by anger, but by peace. Not anger, but peace. I see this in verses 21 through 26. Look with me now at verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Six times Jesus uses this phrase, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And here Jesus begins with the issue of murder. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Jesus is picking up on the sixth commandment from the law of Moses that was given to the people on Mount Sinai. You shall not murder. 
And the consequence of murder here is that one who murders is liable to judgment. And then Jesus says, but I say to you. With authority, Jesus speaks to the issue that is deeper than murder. And he gets to the heart. He gets at the heart of what causes murder, which is anger. And he says that the one who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. The outcome of the one who is angry is the same outcome of the one who murders. Liable to judgment. And then Jesus goes on and says, whoever insults his brother is liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What Jesus has in mind here is he's viewing someone as worthless. They're worthless. They're, they're good for nothing, or whatever term you would use to show contempt for someone towards their mind or their heart. And oftentimes, anger in our attitude leads to this sort of speech, doesn't it? When someone, doesn't, when someone does something that we don't like, whatever that might be, we get angry and we use harmful speech, even toward one another. Notice he's addressing brothers. Even among the people of God, even among us, sinful anger can build up and result in harmful and hurtful speech. Sinful anger should not be a characteristic for those who follow Jesus Christ. Oh, how often we struggle with this, don't we? Sinful anger resulting in hurtful speech it might be evident in our homes, with our wives, with our children, or with someone that we work with. And brothers and sisters, we need to understand the seriousness of the issue of anger. We must prevent sinful anger from building itself, from letting it grow within ourselves. We must prevent sinful anger between one another. We must not give the devil a foothold. We must not allow anger to fester and grow. Which is why it is essential that we deal with our anger quickly so that it doesn't build up in our own hearts or in the hearts of others. In times of conflict, when anger arises, we should seek peace and reconciliation quickly. I have made it, my, made it my aim when I am angry with my children or my wife or they're upset with me to reconcile quickly. Don't let it grow in your heart. Notice what Jesus says in verses 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. 
First be reconciled to your brother. Let me read that again. Let me read that again. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. The solution for to, keep, to keeping anger from building up and spreading the solution is to pursue peace and reconciliation. You might be innocent. You might be innocent. But if another brother or sister, sister is angry with you, and you know it, you are called to go to them. If you realize that someone has something against you, you are called to take the initiative and go to them, even if you are innocent. When Jesus says, leave your gift there before the altar and go, he is emphasizing the importance of reconciliation with someone who is upset with us. One commentator observes that the disciples from Galilee would would have to travel 80 miles back from Jerusalem to reconcile with the offended person. Reconciliation and peace must be high priorities in our lives. So when conflict arises, make it your aim to pursue peace and reconciliation. Second, second, we are to be characterized not by lust, but by contentment. Not lust, but contentment. Look with me at verses 27 through 32. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In this section, Jesus unpacks for us his teaching as it relates to adultery. I've I've combined the issues of lust and divorce together because of their relationship to adultery. I don't plan to unpack the issue of divorce here. That's worthy of an entire sermon. And we will get there as we continue in it. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus will more fully develop this topic of divorce. But what I want to do here is I want to highlight the issue of lust. This internal desire as it relates to the physical act of adultery, which then at times leads to divorce. Jesus draws our attention to lust, to the lustful desire, which is adultery in the heart. In verse 27, Jesus quotes the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. And then in verse 28, he says, But I say to you, 
But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is forbidding any look that stirs up lustful and impure thoughts. We also see here the connection between the heart and the eyes to lust. Adultery begins in the heart and in the eye. The heart moves the eye. The heart moves the eye, and the eye excites and arouses our sinful hearts. The world that we live in today is filled with temptations to lust. Everywhere we go, everywhere we turn, the temptation is there. And we must be on guard against these temptations. Whether it's TV shows, commercials, the internet, shopping at a mall, temptations face us every day. So what do we do? What do we do? Does this mean that we have to completely remove ourselves from the world? Where would we go? The temptation is everywhere. Martin Luther once said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. So also, we can refuse to let impure thoughts find a home in our hearts. So how do we refuse to let impure thoughts find a home in our hearts? First, first, recognize the temptation. This goes for any sin, okay? This goes for any sin that you're struggling with. Recognize the temptation. When are you tempted? What are the circumstances to that temptation? At all cost, at all cost, keep away from that temptation. Avoid the place and the time and the circumstances in which you are most vulnerable to give in to that temptation. In Proverbs 5.1, Solomon warns his sons concerning adultery. Listen to what he says, Proverbs 5.1. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. So avoid the temptation. Don't go near it, if at all possible. Second, so first, recognize the temptation. Second, change your thoughts and your focus. Change your thoughts and your focus. If your current mindset is this, I deserve this. I'm tired. It's not that big of a deal. Everyone is doing it. Or whatever else might come into your mind. Change that thought and fix your mind on God's word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Take your mind off of the temptation and onto Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Remind yourself of the gospel. 
You want to find victory over sin? Recognize the temptation. Remind yourself of the gospel. Fix your thought, your focus, and your mind on Jesus Christ and what he has done for you on the cross. Third, third, James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Keep drawing near to God. Continue to draw near to God. Continue to resist the devil. Keep resisting. That's the idea. Not once, but over and over and over and over again. Fight with the strength that God supplies. Fight to find your contentment in God. And if you are married, seek joy and delight in your spouse. Seek joy and delight in your spouse. That's what Solomon says, even as he continues in Proverbs. If you keep reading Proverbs chapter 5. So recognize the temptation. Remind yourself of the gospel. And keep resisting the devil. And finally, finally, if you struggle with self-control in this area, in this area of lust or whatever the sin might be, and you're not finding victory, if you're not finding victory, repent. Repent. If, we conf- if you confess your sins, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess it, not only to God, but to someone else. Tell someone who can carry your burden with you. The Christian life was never intended to be lived alone. As soon as you are being tempted, call someone. Very practical. Call someone. Call someone when thoughts come into your mind. Have someone in your life that can walk through this with you. And I want to say as your pastor And as your brother in Christ, I will walk with you through your struggle. I will walk with you through your struggle. I will help you. You can call me at any time. And I mean that. I want us to take sin seriously because the Bible takes sin seriously. Call me. If you're a woman, call my wife. She would gladly come alongside you and help you in your own struggles, whatever that sin might be. If you're a lady here, call my wife and she will walk with you through it.
Let's be a people that treats sin seriously. Jesus uses extreme language, doesn't he? It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This sin is serious, and we should treat it as such. And may you realize that you can, as a child of God, who has the Spirit of God in you, you belong to Christ, and you can, over time, be characterized by obedience to the commands of Christ here. You can find obedience in these areas. You have the Spirit of God living in you. Let's not live a defeated life. It takes God's grace. It takes God's grace, doesn't it? And it takes an active pursuit on our part as well. Third, third, our attitudes and desires should not be characterized by deceit, but by honesty and integrity. Not deceit, but honesty. Look with me at verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Jesus is primarily concerned with telling the truth, and he uses the principle of oaths to make his point. Through a discussion on oaths, Jesus calls his disciples to be filled with honesty and integrity. Oaths in that day were a normal part of their everyday life. When they would take an oath, they would swear by something, whether by God or by some sacred object in order to confirm the truthfulness of what they said. However, what would often happen is that people would swear by something and not be bound to it, which was a way that they could deceive others. Later in Matthew 23, Jesus will rebuke the scribes and Pharisees for this kind of behavior, this kind of deception. And Jesus makes the point that all oaths, all oaths call God as a witness to confirm the truth of our words. And therefore, Jesus urges his followers to let what you say be simply yes or no. The followers of Christ must not be filled with deceit, but we are called to put away falsehood and to speak the truth in love. Because when we fail to tell the truth in love, we are acting like the evil one, the father of lies, who has no truth in him. As his disciples, we are to be filled with honesty and integrity in our hearts so that there is no need for an oath to confirm the truthfulness of what we say. Let's be a people that are filled with honesty and integrity. Now, fourth and finally, our desires should lead to actions that are characterized 
not by revenge, but by love. Our desire should lead to actions that are characterized by love and not revenge. Look with me at verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." In these verses, we see, we see two of the you have heard it said, but I say to you phrases. They are statements concerning revenge and love. And again, I've lumped these together. I've lumped these together because they both deal with the heart's attitude towards the one who has, who has wronged us. Revenge and retaliation are common responses when we are mistreated and insulted. We have a sinful tendency to strike back when someone strikes us. And Jesus calls us here to not seek vengeance or retaliation, but we must seek love. We are to go the extra mile. We are to make every effort to give generously and to love our enemies. What Jesus addresses in this passage is not that we are to be doormats for Jesus. We're not to let people walk all over us. That's not what he's addressing here, is that we just let people walk all over us. He's not saying that every time someone asks you for money that you're to pull out all your money in your wallet and give it to them. That's not what he's getting at here. Rather, he is teaching us that when we are insulted... That's what he's communicating when he says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek. Most people were right-handed. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, insult, backhand. When we are insulted, we don't need to use our rights to get back at the one who has hurt us. In verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This commandment in the Old Testament protected people from punishment or retaliation that would be greater than the crime that they had committed. It ensured that there would be a just punishment that was proportional to the crime that was committed. If I kill someone's pet snake, 
my life should not be taken. All right? A just punishment for the crime that was committed. This is what we see in the Old Testament. It also gave the person, so not only that, but it also gave the person the right to seek out a just punishment for being wronged. And Jesus says that we don't need to seek revenge if someone wrongs us. We don't need to use our rights to bring justice to the person who has insulted us. Much like the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. This is what it looks like to love our enemies, doesn't it? If someone hates us and rejects us, we are still to treat them with kindness and love. We are called to pray for those who persecute us. When we show our love for others, when we show love and kindness from a changed heart, when we show this kind of love to our enemies, we are displaying that we belong to God, that He is our Father, and that we are His children. As we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, we are reflecting Christ's love for us. God loved us even while we were His enemies. Even while we were His enemies, God loved us. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us while we were His enemies. When our attitude, when our desire is to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and insult us, we are making known the love of God in Jesus Christ. And this is the kind of heart. This is, these are the kinds of attitudes and desires that exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. This is what it looks like to be mature or perfect in Christ. Notice verse 48. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus means that we are not only to have the same love as our heavenly Father, but also we are to be blameless and mature. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, if you are following Christ, your commitment and devotion should be directed toward God. You must seek, we must seek wholehearted and complete obedience to all that Jesus has said. And what I want you to notice as we close is that we seek to do what pleases Him, not so that we become His child, but because we already are. Did you catch that in verse 48? We are to be perfect as your 
heavenly Father is perfect. He is our Father. We are His children. And as His children, we should seek to do what pleases Him and strive to become more and more like Him in our attitudes and our desires. So this week, this week, may we love others from a pure heart as we remember God's love for us. May a reminder of God's love, may a reminder of God's love keep you from anger, from lust, from deceit, and from revenge. And may you pursue peace, contentment, honesty, and love. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for giving us new hearts. We give you thanks for putting your spirit in us, that we as followers of Christ, as those who are united to Christ, we can now live in obedience to Christ's commands through your great work in us. We can live out our salvation. May your spirit work in us to put to death anger, lust, deceit, and revenge. And may your spirit work in us to pursue peace, to pursue contentment, to pursue honesty, and to pursue love. And we will give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and join in our closing hymn number 508 in your hymnal. Oh, Master, let me walk with thee. Oh, Master, let me walk with Thee In lowly paths of service free Tell me Thy secret, help me bear The strain of toil, the fret of care Help me the slow of heart to move by some clear winning word of love. Teach me the wayward feet to stay and guide them in the homeward way. Teach me thy patience still with thee. 